listening to The American Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome, folks, to The American Journal. I am guest hosting again today. My name is Chase Geyser. Harrison will be back with us next week. It has been an honor and a pleasure to be on the show with you this week. And I hope that I have the opportunity to come back again soon and be with all of you. Big news out of Arizona last night. And I think it reaffirms the notion that the future of America is populist. Now, Steve Bannon has been saying this for years, that the future is populist. He famously debated the topic a number of years ago, saying, look, there's two outcomes. There's going to be a leftist populist movement, or there's going to be a right-wing populist movement. And I think that the results out of Arizona last night show us that there is a right-wing populist movement that is still strong and getting ever stronger. The more the political class continues to fail the American people, the more the American people will wake up and come together and reclaim their own sovereignty and hold this political class accountable. I am very pleased to see that Blake Masters won big. Carrie Lake, it looks like she won as well. These are both Trump-endorsed candidates, of course, but I'm particularly impressed with Blake Masters because I did have the opportunity to speak with him on my podcast uh, when he announced that he was running for office. If we could play that clip real quick, that would be great. So every time the left wants to blather about Russia, 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 to me, they're just shouting, we don't want to talk about China. I think in 2014, Joe Biden was like, China, come on, man. Like, you know, they'll, ne they'll never catch up to us. And so it's just, uh, they've been asleep at the wheel. I credit President Trump for really changing the conversation about China, right? He came along and he wanted to say like, no, I don't know what you guys are doing, but like for 30 years, you've been giving away the kingdom to China. This is crazy. They're taking advantage of us and I'm going to put a stop to it. And so for the first time, I think we, we had a real healthy conversation about China. Um, I think the tariff policy he implemented was great. I think he was militarily tough and unpredictable. And China must be salivating right now at the Joe Biden administration, right? They, uh, they see the weakness in Afghanistan and the way we withdrew there. How are they not looking at Taiwan and just, and just absolutely salivating? So... Part, I, we, we just have to get leaders in that actually understand what the threats are. So for decades, the United States has allowed itself to be compromised by China, perceiving them as nothing but a vulnerable third world entity. We empowered them by outsourcing all of our manufacturing to them. We get our pharmaceuticals from them, other products from them, clothes, basically anything you can find on Amazon. You can find at least a version of it that comes from China, if not the only version. And now we've come to this place where the CCP has been so empowered by the influx of revenue that we have generated for them at the expense of our own manufacturing working class here in the United States. And it really begs the question, if we really care so much about Taiwan, why is it that we pump so much money into Taiwan's greatest threat. We claim that we will come to the aid or the defense of Taiwan. Biden, of course, has said it explicitly, and his administration has had to walk it back. 
but we, we, we claim to be on the side of Taiwan and pro-democracy and pro-independence for Taiwan and their own sovereignty as a nation. Yet we pump millions and millions and billions and billions of dollars into the Chinese economy at the expense of our working class and ultimately as a great threat to the world. More on China in the next segment, as well as some more details on my thoughts on Blake Masters and why I think that his victory in the primary yesterday is so inspiring and encouraging about the future of the United States of America. So stay tuned. We're going to be taking calls in the second hour. We've got a great guest in the third hour, Matthew Culkin, and we are going to get to the bottom of America's problems and how they are going to be solved. Listening to the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, fellow Americans. Lots in the news today. I am very excited and enthusiastic about what is happening in America. Despite all of the challenges that we face, it does seem like there is light at the end of the tunnel. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Getter first. I'm in the social media business for a living, and when Getter first came to prominence, I was very skeptical because a lot of these third-party social media platforms that have attempted to come to prominence in the face of big tech censorship on platforms like Google, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, a lot of them really relied on sort of the, the protest sign-up. Right. So they say, all right, we're a free speech platform. So sign up because you can say whatever you want on this platform. And they leaned on that political free speech aspect solely as their marketing strategy without actually building platforms that keep followers engaged and coming back. And so what happens on a lot of these third-party platforms is people sign up because they're censored on other platforms or they're upset regarding the censorship of these other platforms. So they sign up as sort of a protest registration, but they post and there's no engagement. And so after a, a short period of time, they just quit logging back in. So you might have millions and millions of people sign up similar to what happened with Google Plus years ago, yet no one is actually using the platform. But Getter has found a way to really maintain its user engagement and keep people coming back to the platform time and time again. So I have really enjoyed Getter. I highly recommend if you don't already have a Getter profile that you get a Getter profile, follow InfoWars, follow the American Journal, follow Alex Jones, and follow Steve Bannon. This morning I was looking at my feed and Steve Bannon had posted a, a great article about the AI arms race that we are in with China. And for years, like I mentioned in the last segment, that the political class in the United States has sort of dismissed the threat of China. It wasn't really until the financial crisis of 2006, 2008, when we really acknowledged or noticed that there was an economic threat in China. And now we're at this place where we're concerned about a military threat with China, particularly over the conflict and controversy surrounding Taiwan. And this article is great because it emphasizes the fact that artificial intelligence is the next 
military threat. It's the next nuclear bomb. It's the next arms race. And if you look at the history of technology, I can't think of any civilization that has successfully stopped a possible technology from coming into existence. So we can't think in terms of how do we prevent artificial intelligence from coming about, from manifesting, because there's no way to prevent new technologies. It's inevitable. That which is possible will become reality eventually. And so what we have to consider is how can we mitigate the risks associated with our artificial intelligence and how can we empower the United States so that it maintains supremacy in the space. Now, this article here focuses primarily about how, or, or focuses primarily on how artificial intelligence technology can be used in the context of nuclear war. But I actually think there's far greater threats around the potential of artificial intelligence than just the nuclear missile capabilities, predictive analytics, machine learning associated with defense mechanisms or bypassing defense mechanisms. Because artificial intelligence isn't just a military application, but it's got private applications as well, just like the internet, which of course was originally DARPAnet, invented by the government. But what I'm primarily concerned about is how artificial intelligence is going to be used to maintain surveillance and sovereignty over individual people within any given nation. And we've seen the advent of social credit scores in communist China. And we're beginning to see conversations around that in the United States. Of course, some communities in the United States, some cities, some states during the pandemic were very quick to establish technology that could track the spread of COVID, vaccine status, things of that nature, at huge risk to the privacy and autonomy of the individual. And it won't just stop there. With the censorship that we have seen on social media, we have put ourselves or arrived in a position where the political views that you have or espouse, the opinions that you have, the expressions that you make are beginning to interfere with your ability to integrate with society. We see countless examples of people being fired for their political beliefs. We see countless examples of people being deplatformed, sued, harassed, prosecuted for their beliefs. We'll get into the Project Veritas FBI leaks a little bit later. But we are beginning to see classifications of American people as domestic terrorists based on simple patriotic beliefs that they have. And so it begs the question, what does this mean in the face of the advent of artificial intelligence? What does this mean if it's no longer necessary for an individual person at a platform or an individual person in a human resources department to actually review a profile or a person one at a time? What if we get to the point where artificial intelligence is able to navigate all of your internet search behavior, all of your internet search content, your physical locations, the words that you speak through the microphones in your phone? I have friends in the intelligence community. They say even if you turn your phone off, it's still recording what you say. I had a friend for a long time that wouldn't get a phone that didn't have a battery you couldn't take out for that very reason. And so with the advent of artificial intelligence, we are going to be faced with a mass surveillance state like never seen before. I believe that the 
leaks Edward Snowden shared with the world about the surveillance that was going on um, out uh, as an outcome of the Patriot Act are going to pale in comparison to the surveillance that we're going to face in the future. So what can we do to not only ensure our liberty and privacy and safety from our own government, but ensure that our information is not to be compromised by our enemies? Thank God we have such an innovative president in Joe Biden who is abundantly competent in the space and aware of artificial intelligence technology on an intimate level. Actually, that might be true since he does seem to be somewhat of an automaton. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out, but we definitely need to be conscious of this paying attention to the development of artificial intelligence, using it for the great good that it can do without risking or forgetting the importance of individual liberty and individualism moving forward. So these FBI whistleblower leaks that came out with Project Veritas yesterday are quite fascinating. According to the leaks, the Bureau's Domestic Terrorism Symbols Guide on militia violent extremists. These documents cite Ashley Babbitt as an extremist martyr. But not only do the documents show an offensive position by our FBI regarding Ashley Babbitt, they outline phrases and symbols associated with extremism in the United States. Things like the Betsy Ross flag. And one can hardly think of the Betsy Ross flag without thinking of the United States Revolution, without thinking of that famous scene at the end of The Patriot where Mel Gibson takes up the flag of his fallen son, the Betsy Ross flag that had been mended and repaired, and runs back into battle against the tyranny of the British Empire. And now the FBI considers the advocacy or the expression of that symbol as a potential indicator of domestic extremism. We're going to talk more about that in the third hour with Matthew Culkin when he comes on and how we can overcome the federal government's overstep into our lives and their classification of us as domestic terrorists just for the love of our own country. journal fellow americans as i mentioned in the first segment today blake masters won the primary and handsomely at that and i want to talk a little bit about my opinion on blake masters and my understanding of why this could be such a promising development for the future of america and american populism american patriotism and american individualism so the interesting thing to me about Blake Masters is I didn't actually know that I knew his work until last year when I reached out to him to come on my podcast. 
I started a business in 2016, and during that time, as many entrepreneurs do, I was reading all sorts of business books to try to help me in that journey. I was listening to countless audiobooks, podcasts, whether it was the Tim Ferriss podcast or Grant Cardone or The War of Art, anything that I could consume to help me get in the right mindset to be successful in business, I was consuming. And one of those books that I read was a little book called Zero to One, which you may have heard of. It's perhaps one of the most famous books about startups. And of course, it was written by Peter Thiel. You may or may not know who Peter Thiel is, but he's quite an interesting figure. I believe he spoke at CPAC in 2016, but I could be wrong about that. I know that he spoke at some very major conservative convention around that time or maybe in a couple of years before. But regardless, Peter Thiel was one of the first, if not the first outside investor in Facebook. I believe he recently left the board of directors at Facebook. And he's sort of this quiet, multimillionaire, genius mastermind in the background. One book that covers a little bit of what he is like is called Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday, which I highly recommend. It's incredibly well written. Ryan Holiday is a very talented author, but it tells the story of how Peter Thiel operates and works to establish justice in very strategic and clever and intentional ways. We talk a lot on InfoWars about the Great Reset because it is perhaps the greatest threat to American sovereignty and to individual liberty worldwide. And in the face of that conversation, it's very easy to become discouraged and disheartened. The conspiracies that we are constantly faced with and that constantly seem to come to light in time can easily make one feel as if the world is only run and manipulated and operated by bad actors. Now, we all fall short. No person is perfect. But is the world run only by those who are pure evil? And when I look at Peter Thiel, I see a better angel among us. I see an example of someone who is in that multimillionaire, if not billionaire class, who gives of his own brilliant mind and time and money to quietly, subtly, and strategically make groundbreaking changes in favor of the American people. A little bit on Blake that I want to touch on from his bio. In 2014, he co-authored the number one New York Times bestseller, Zero to One. So he was actually the one in the word processor putting that book together in partnership with Peter Thiel. He was the chief operating officer at Thiel Capital. And Blake was also on President Trump's transition team in 2016. So when I heard that Blake Masters was running for Senate in Arizona, I immediately thought, this is Peter Thiel's next move. This is his, this is the, the next strategy for America. And to see that we have these these people who care enough about America to work quietly in the background to strategically help take back the Senate of the United States of America 
in favor of the American people is incredibly encouraging to me because Peter Thiel is notoriously a private person. He is notoriously a quiet person. He is not one to be flashy. He is not one who gets involved for the sake of his own ego. He is just simply a strategic mastermind. And when I saw that Blake was running for the Senate, I thought, okay, there are powers working to save America. It's not just the individual American. It's not just these grassroots movements. We are not in this alone. It is not only the working class that fights for the working class. It is not only the working class that fights on behalf of the working class. But anyone in the American class, as we spoke about yesterday, regardless of their socioeconomic status, can fight for this country. And I am very encouraged that Mr. Masters is, is off to the races. So make sure you check him out and show support in any way that you can. I'm very hopeful that he's going to take the Senate seat in Arizona. But the war is not over until it is won. One thing that I really want to keep in mind is the importance after this election cycle for every American who cares about the future of America to not consider the battle won. It's very likely that we're going to see a red wave this fall, that we're going to see a sweep, certainly in the House, maybe even in the Senate. And it's easy when that happens for us to take this power for granted, to feel as if we actually have representation again. But remember that we have to continually hold those we elect, even those we elect on our side, especially those we elect on our side, accountable. They must always feel the pressure. They must always know that at any moment, at any cycle, all their power could be lost if they are held accountable by the people they represent. So when we win this fall, and handsomely win, we will, that's when the real fighting begins. We saw this in 2016 after Trump was elected against all odds after he was elected in the face of all polls that claimed that he would lose, there was like a breath of fresh air. I felt such relief. I was at a bar in the middle of the night with my now wife watching the news as it was announced that he won. And I remember feeling a sense of relief. But that relief was misguided because the fight wasn't over when he won in 2016. That was when the fight began. So when we win this fall, never forget that winning an election is not the end of a battle or the end of a war, but the beginning of one. Double down, fight harder, hammer the phones, volunteer, do what you can to ensure the future of America. Make sure you check out bodies on InfoWarsStore.com. Used as a medical herb for thousands of years, turmeric, is one of the most studied ingredients known today. It's worked in ancient cultures and it works today just as well. Check out bodies on InfoWarsStore.com. It helps with joint support, mobility support, flexibility support, and inflammation support. It's an awesome product. Check it out and stay tuned. You're watching the American Journal with your host, Chase 
Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back, Americans. Segment I want to talk about the holy trinity of Americanism. It begins with populism. Populism is a word that wasn't really used in American politics until the great Steve Bannon came to influence in the space. Similar to the term nationalism, leaders and Americans alike have avoided the term populism because populism has been traditionally associated with a connotation of collectivism. But it's a term that I have come to proudly embrace in light of the fact that I am a staunch individualist. And so traditionally, when we've heard of the term populism, we think of this sort of collectivist mentality, this idea that I am for the people, not for the individual, and the individual needs to give of himself or herself in order for the greater good of the people to manifest. But if we really look honestly at populism and what's good for the people, then altruism isn't the answer. Self-sacrifice isn't the answer. Human beings were not put on this earth to be sacrificed like animals. They were put on this earth to manifest, to actualize, to become the greatest versions of themselves. And through that, a people can become the greatest version of itself. So really in truth, I think we've come to a point where if you're honestly a populist, and you believe in the sovereignty of a people, the sanctity of a people, and you wish for the greatest outcome of a people, your people, the American people, regardless of their immutable qualities or characteristics, then you must be an individualist. Because time and time again throughout history, when we see a collectivist approach to populism, when we see an altruistic approach to populism, a communistic one or a socialist one, we see that the outcome is that a people suffer. Look, for example, at the Great Leap Forward between 1958 and 1962. Tens of millions of Chinese died under Mao for the sake of a misguided approach to populism. What was considered the greater good of the people then was famine and starvation by tens of millions. A lot of people don't know this, but more people died in the four years between 1958 and 1962 in China than died between 1619 and 2019 of all forms of white supremacy worldwide combined. So we know that this ideology of Marxism, socialism, or collectivism isn't truly a populist ideology because every time these policies come into effect in these collectivist societies, the people suffer most. And it's not just the bourgeois who suffer or the former oppressors or the property owners who suffer. It's everyone. 
And if we think that the income disparity between the wealthiest Americans and the poorest Americans today is bad, just look at the income disparity between the wealthiest North Koreans and the poorest North Koreans. If we think that the top 1% of Americans having a, a majority of all the wealth in the country is a bad disparity, what does the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of North Korea look like compared to its, its people? And so I proudly embrace populism, but the difference between my approach to populism and this new American approach to populism as a whole is the realization, the awakening, the enlightenment to the fact that no true populist with a true love of his or her people in his or her heart would ever advocate for the collectivist, altruistic policies of collectivism. Instead, in order to live according to a true philosophy of populism, a true American populism, we have to fight harder than ever before for the rights of the individual. Because no great people can exist without great individuals among them. Let's take a look at self-actualization among individuals and the importance of that principle for a greater people. We've seen throughout our own American history that the greatest accomplishments of our people have been in conjunction of the greatest degree of liberty among them. The greatest Religious peace we have seen among different religions in the history of the world has existed in the United States, which simultaneously advocated the greatest freedom of religion. The greatest peace we have seen between different worldviews and different, different political views in the history of the world has existed in the United States in conjunction with the greatest protection of the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, the right to petition. And where we see liberty, we see peace. And where we see peace, we see prosperity. And where we see prosperity, we see a great people. So the first step to manifesting a populist ideal is actualizing policies of liberty. Liberty is the path to populism. This is the mistake that so many of America's enemies and our competitors throughout the 20th century made, is that the approach was fascist or communist or despotic. The idea was that in order to achieve the greatest outcome possible for the people, a heavy-handed government had to come in and dictate how things would be done and manage how things would be done. But we see time and time again throughout history, that the laws of the universe are in greatest harmony with the greatest degree of liberty. Even if we look at Adam Smith's famous Wealth of Nations, where he talked about the invisible hand of capitalism, he made it clear that in an economy with a free market, there is an automatic balance between supply and demand 
prices for labor, prices for goods, products and services, everything works out and makes sense when there is the greatest degree of liberty in a system. One of the main problems with the Soviet Union that led to its collapse is that supply chains, food production, resources in a complicated society and a complex system are virtually impossible to manage from a centralized authority. Just look at the DMV. If the DMV can hardly manage the line for people trying to register their car or get a license, how do we expect a government entity or department or program to efficiently manage an entire economy or an entire people? So rather than thinking, what can the government do better for us, we should be thinking, how can the government do better at protecting our liberty so that we can do better at taking care of ourselves? In the face of this notion, I want you to make sure you go to InfoWarsStore.com or Amazon and check out The Great Reset by Alex Jones. It's coming out at the end of this month. This book is incredible, folks. You have to check it out. Make sure that you understand The Great Reset and this effort of the globalists to establish a centralized authority over the entire world, an authority that will lead to great tragedy for the greatest number of people in the history of human civilization. Good morning, Americans. It's good to see you here working engaging with friends, family, and neighbors. It'd be nice if our politicians were actually here. Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, allegedly. And according to reports that I have read, she visited the NVIDIA factory. I don't know if that's true or not, but very interesting if so, because I believe last week her husband dumped about $5 million worth of NVIDIA stock. NVIDIA, of course, is a computer chip company they make a great graphics great graphics cards for those among you who like to play video games and i wonder if they dumped the stock in light of her visit knowing that the threats from china in the context of her visit to taiwan would scare investors away from uh, investing in any taiwanese chip companies and I wonder if they're going to buy that stock back low after she's gone and make incredible gains. We'll see if she continues to benefit from insider trading as she has. You know, the funny thing about Nancy Pelosi is she seems to be everywhere except for anywhere the American people need her. And we've seen the advent of this sham January 6th committee which, frankly, I agree with Alex Jones, it's boring. We don't need to talk about how obvious it is that it's just propaganda. When you hire a award-winning producer to come and glorify C-SPAN, basically a C-SPAN segment, on primetime television with virtually no views, 
just for the sake of offering a prosecution or an accusation against a political opponent or a series of political opponents. Frankly, an entire political movement is being persecuted by that committee without any recourse, without any opportunity for defense, without any opportunity to face your accusers. This is what happens when the legislative, legislative branch attempts to do the duty of the judicial branch because the legislative branch doesn't have to abide by the rules of the judicial branch. So what we see instead of prosecution is persecution. And I think perhaps the greatest tragedy of this committee is not only the fact that it's a political persecution of political opponents, similar to what one might see from Putin in Russia to his political opponents, or Zelensky in Ukraine to his political opponents. It's not only that this is a persecution, an overstep of the legislative branch, but it's the hypocrisy of it in that for years, we know that members of Congress, members of the Senate have had copies of Hunter Biden's laptop, both Republicans and Democrats, and we have seen no such committee. So let's have a little fun. Let's give Nancy Pelosi's office a call in D.C. and ask her when she is going to establish a resolution for a committee to investigate the Biden crime family corruption. You can call her office at 202-225-4965. Make sure you ask to speak with a member of the staff. They will probably ignore you because that's what the political class does, but they will send you to a voicemail. And why don't you leave a message and say, Speaker Pelosi, when are you going to establish an investigation into the Biden crime family as evidenced by the now admittedly real Hunter Biden laptop? Give her a call at 202-225-4965. I want Nancy Pelosi's phone to be ringing like a Wall Street call center for stock traders. I want it to feel like the wolf of Wall Street in there. I want them scrambling to answer questions. And I want them to hear hundreds, thousands of messages of the American class showing them that we know the corruption, we know the hypocrisy, and we're not going to take it anymore. Just like that scene from the network that we watched on the end of the segment yesterday. We're mad as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. In the next hour, I'm going to take your calls. Make sure you call us as well, 877-789-2539. I want to get your feedback on what you think about what's happening with populism in America, what you think about Hunter Biden's laptop, what you think about China, Nancy Pelosi. Call us at 877-789-2539. Get in line and let's get some feedback in the next hour from the audience. I want to hear your thoughts and get to the bottom of America's problems. One of the things that I think the uh, American movement, the American people have struggled with in the United States throughout our elections is we have allowed our movement to be branded by our opponents. 
For a long time, it was simply the Democrats rebranding the Republicans, right? We were rebranded as Republicans uh, as being the wealthy class, the privileged, the racist, the bigoted, the prejudiced. And then it became more menacing. Now it's not the Democrats rebranding their Republican opponents, but it's the leftists rebranding the American patriot. It's not politicians rebranding their political opponents, but it's the political class rebranding the American class. So now, as we see from these FBI leaks, as we see from this sham January 6th committee, the, the countless examples of rhetoric from the left, we see that if you express a love of your country, if you fly a Betsy Ross flag, you're a terrorist? So what we have to do in the face of this is we have to start beating them at their own game. We're reasonable people. American people are generally reasonable, famously reasonable, in fact. And reasonable people are vulnerable to the assumption that others are reasonable too. And that if we sit down and have a conversation, we can change minds, work things out, and work together. And that's the mistake that we've made as Americans, as the American class, as conservatives, so to speak, or libertarians, is that we expect the better argument to change minds. We expect to win elections and establish control of our own destinies to achieve political representation by having a better argument. We expect that we can come in and say, look, lower taxes actually leads to greater revenue because everybody makes more money when they pay less taxes. But time and time again, the leftists have proven that the key to political power in the United States is not a better argument, but a better emotional argument. So we have to start thinking about how we can win the hearts and minds. I can sit here all day and explain to you how corrupt Biden is, and I can list facts and text messages and videos and emails, and I can show them to AOC or Nancy Pelosi. I can sit down with the leftist college student or the leftist HR department employee or the leftist teacher, and I can prove them everything from the Republican side, everything from the conservative side, everything from the American side on these issues. I can prove to them that capitalism is better than collectivism, that communism doesn't work and hasn't worked. I can sit down and just own them in a debate. But at the end of that debate, they're still going to walk away a leftist. So we need to realize that it's not about having a better argument. It's about winning the hearts and minds. We need to realize that if we really care about each other, if we really care about ourselves, Rather than trying to convince the opposition that we're right, we just have to annihilate them in every political contest that we have. We have to render the left powerless. For a long time, the balance in American politics was espoused as a great accomplishment, with the left pulling the right toward the center and the right pulling the left toward the center for a consensus, for an outcome. No more. We need to render them completely powerless. 
call in 877-789-2539. We've got some calls in the queue. Make sure you call in too and get in line. I'm going to be taking calls in the next hour and it's going to be a lot of fun. 877-789-2539. Stay tuned and thank you for joining the American Journal. Thank you for living as an American. Thank you for being an American hero. Journal with your host, Harrison Smith. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome to the American Journal, folks. This hour, we are going to be taking calls. We've got some good calls lined up right now. Make sure you call in and get in line, 877-789-2539. I'm going to take a call from BS Assassin in New York. BS Assassin, you are live on the air. Yo, what's up, buddy? Hey, with man. my man Harris. Man, I hope Roger Stone don't got him in the basin with jumping cables through his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Good, good, good. I just want to tell everyone, uh, evil will do as many good deeds as it needs to commit an atrocity. Mm. Remember that. Mm -hmm. All right? So all this stuff is a distraction. It's a distraction to get our, to get our minds off of uh, these death shots that are going to wipe out all people. Everyone that took this shot, I don't see how they're not going to die. So, in my opinion, they're just going to throw as much crap on the wall. So we're looking at this, we're looking at that, why all people die. And then if you go back to uh, when Mao took power, the people, there was a popular, it was the um, same thing, that the people were, they were very, there was a shoe-in. I forgot the name of the president, that, that he was, he was going to come in. The people were all excited, you know, like, like Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And then they subverted the will of the people. And they put they just put Mao in, and he started killing everybody. So I mean, that's that's the, that's the line that I think that they're going to take with us. I mean, we're on the chopping block. I, I don't I don't see how this is going to get better. How guy Donald Trump, who put masks on children and rolled out the deadliest thing the world's ever seen, is going to save us? I don't see it. I don't see how a government that's allowed to commit corruption and atrocities and manipulate a stock market, which directly affects people's lives, which kills people when you, when you manipulate that stock market, which, which robs us, which leaves the people hanging where they have this, these, these endless Ponzi schemes like SpaceX and Space Force and all this BS, those giant rocket ships that Elon uh, Musk is built. Where the hell are they going? You know what I mean? In my opinion, those ships, those are gas chambers. They're gonna they're gonna do like a fake uh, exodus from from uh, from Earth, and they're gonna be like, "Come on, the ship will save you." And then they're gonna gas you. You know what I mean? They're probably gonna, you know what I mean? Like, well, I tell you, I tell you what, they're not they're not gonna be able to distract distract you with a Nancy Pelosi visit to Taiwan once people start dropping like flies. That's for sure. But I think it's really interesting that you brought up Mao because it made me remember a uh, uh, a Time magazine. Uh, article that I read about Mao. So one of the cool things is about Time Magazine, one of the fascinating things is if you look at the person of the year for like the last 100 years, some of the most evil people made the list and often before the world knew how evil they really were, right? So they're sort of glorified in this weird way. And then in the context of what we know now, it's like, oh my God. So Mao is a really good example of that. What he did to rally the communist movement in China as a revolutionary was 
it, it was really ex extraordinary, brutally violent, and and absolutely cruel. But I do agree with you on the sentiment that a lot of these stories are distractions. Uh, but I don't think they're trying to distract us from vaccine deaths because ultimately the effects of the vaccine are not going to be something that is even possible to ignore. I think what they're really trying to, distra to distract us from is just a focused, concerted effort on reclaiming America and understanding what the American movement, the, American fir the America First movement really means. I'm going to take some more calls in the next hour. Thank you so much for calling in, BS Assassin. It's always a, a pleasure to have you. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Alex's War before the end of this segment. Make sure you guys check out that documentary, Alex's War. Uh, it came out last week. It's in theaters throughout the United States. If it's in a theater near you, make sure you go buy some tickets and see it because the more tickets that are sold, the longer the movie will stay in theaters and the better it will perform, the more that we can get the word out on the story of InfoWars, what's really going on here, and we can transcend the lies that are told about us time and time again by the legacy media by the corporate media, by the private political class. And if you don't have a theater near you that is showing Alex's War, make sure you check it out. I think you can go to alexswar.com, A-L-E-X-S, war.com, and pay to stream it on Apple Plus or any streaming platform that you prefer. You're tuned in to The American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Welcome back, folks. It's the American Journal. God, I love it here. Not just at InfoWars, but in America. Still the greatest country in the world. It's going to get even better, folks. Next up, I'm going to take a call from Haley in Pennsylvania. Haley, what's going on? You are live on the air. Haley, are you with us? Well, that's okay. We'll come back to you, Haley. Let's take Sean from California instead. Sean, you're live on the air. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good, Sean. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Hey, uh, let's uh, start off today with some hilarious news. The San Mateo County Sheriff, uh, quite entertaining. A friend of his through Facebook, him and deputy go all the way to the state of Indiana get overtime, stay overnight for three days just to collect a replica Batmobile that this guy had not finished paying for and basically trying to ruin a minister's life and so on and so forth. You can check that out on the uh, Channel 7 News for the Bay Area up in Northern California. Um, quite a hilarious story, an example of government abuse gone wrong when a uh, sheriff is misused by people. And the populism we've been speaking about is completely correct. Uh, down here in Southern California, uh, our sheriff, uh, Sheriff Bianco, uh, doing the right thing. We had some protesters uh, protest out in front of our courthouse. They painted the thing up and everything, including my city council person and Ms. Cervantes. Uh, she happens to be in handcuffs. Uh, it looks like she'll be facing charges along with her protest because the SEIU union apparently is too upset that instead of a $10,000 a year raise, they're gonna—they're not getting their twelve thousand five hundred dollar a year raise because they're such vital workers with the outbreak of COVID, and of course now the monkeypox. So quite a, you know, difference. NorCal, you have a sheriff illegally trying to confiscate property. SoCal, you have a 
tariff that sticks up for the courthouse and law and order. And yeah. that's, you know, populism at its finest. It's the people together and law and order with the people. I just think it's so ironic that they raided the Batcave <laughs> because if you look at the Christian Bale Batman series, you've got an example of the only individual who loves Gotham enough to risk his life for it. And everything he does, he does for Gotham. And he's constantly facing criticism from the law enforcement in the movie, right? And so then now in Northern California, you have him actually raiding the Batcave <laughs> in the same way that they're critical of Batman. I mean, famously at the end, I think of the second Batman installment, the one with um, Heath Ledger, he says, I am what Gotham needs me to be. And, you know, and so <laughs> I just think I just think that's absolutely hysterical. But yeah, there's, there's definitely a stark difference between Northern California and Southern California. Sean, I lived in Orange County for a couple of years. And, okay. you know, and, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I liked the weather, but I had to, you know, stay in the office for 20 hours a day in order to afford to live there. So uh, I didn't really well, get to experience much of it. <laughs> well, let, let me, uh, you know, add to this that the, uh, you know, the situation of popula uh, populism is that people also need to know how they can get things done. Uh, yeah. if people are available seven specific times tonight on preconferencecall.com. Just type in J-U-R-A-L assembly, Jural assembly. We have classes that we give out teaching people about the Constitution, about the original Bill of Rights, and so on. And this way, when the people are gathered together as a First Amendment assembly lawfully, they can accomplish things that are grassroots level. The stuff Ron Paul used to talk about, the stuff Rand Paul campaigned on, the stuff Donald Trump before the jab was, uh, you know, endorsing. The people have got to get together. And uh, I would say also, folks, keep an eye out right now with Arizona, uh, Miss Lake, uh, that has uh, some uh, anomalies. She should be winning out there, but it looks like someone was messing around out there. Pino County is under a microscope, and there's also drama going up on in Michigan right now. So we got to get these Dominion machines in check, people. Well, thanks so, so much you for your call, Sean. I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll take uh, Haley from Pennsylvania next. Make sure you guys check out the link that Sean shared. And Haley, you are live on the air. Hello, my name is Haley, and I wanted to talk about how they are trying to push litter boxes into our school <laughs> and other schools around me and how they are trying to push transgender bathrooms in okay. and how they are also trying to let guys go into the girls' bathroom if they figure that, like, they think they're a girl or girls if they think they're a guy. Okay. Tell me about it. What's going on? And um, Parents have just been trying to push this through, and parents have been getting in fights with the school board to put litter boxes into our school bathrooms for the people that think they're animals. So the parents they want it, or the parents are fighting the school board who wants it? No, the parents want it. <sighs> like, they're on their kid's side for this. And they also <laughs> don't let they don't let us wear hats or, like, political shirts in school. But they will let other people run around with dog collars on and dog leashes, and they don't do anything about it. Wow. So are you a They're, student or a teacher, or what's going on? Or a parent? I am a student. Wow. What grade are you in? At some, I'm in, going in the ninth grade. Wow. Congratulations. Kudos to you for calling in uh, uh, and, get, and, and getting activated. So, so have the litter boxes come into the school yet? And if so, how are they working? Uh, they have not come into the school yet, but there are other schools that have almost got them completely pushed through. Myersdale was one of them. Kids said that they were going to try to put litter boxes in the school last year, but that it didn't go completely through. But they had a lot of parents complaining that they wanted it to go through. So are the kids doing this almost as like a troll, or are they dead serious, like, I use a litter box they, at home? 
they are dead serious because there's one girl, we were on a field trip, and she was talking about how there's a litter box in her bathroom that she's So can you bring your cat to school if there's litter boxes everywhere? Uh, they, I don't know. They just want to use the litter boxes to go to the bathroom, I guess, and it is completely awkward in my opinion, and along with the transgender bathrooms, mm -hmm. I do not believe in that. You are one gender. Mm -hmm. You're either female or male. So you can be a cat, but you can't bring a cat. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much for your call. I hope that everything works out in your school. And kudos to you for thinking for yourself and not succumbing to the woke idealism. Let's take a call from Nick in Oklahoma. Nick, you are live on the air. Going this morning, sir. I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Oh, I can't complain. I could, but it wouldn't do no good, right? <laughs> That's the truth, man. <laughs> so... I, I've been sitting here and I've been paying attention, and it seems to me that more and more the media keeps focusing on Nancy Pelosi mm. and trying to draw attention off Biden. Now I don't know if it's true or not. It's possibly it possibly is, but it could be just speculation. But I heard a rumor amongst the alternative media outlets that the idea that the Democratic Party was going to get Biden to sign in a whole bunch of executive orders, and then once he did so, they were going to remove him out of office. Uh, via the 25th, and then they were going to, uh, Kamala Harris was going to waive her right to step in, and Nancy Pelosi was going to step in and become the next president. God help us if that happened. You know, that's Ugh. not totally unreasonable. I, I don't think they'd have to use the 25th to get Biden out, though, because I think he just does what he's told. You know, I think they right. just have to ask him nicely. So, and then the other thing I wanted to uh, bring to people's attention is uh, I have a nephew on my my uh, wife's side, they proceeded to tell me uh, uh, himself and his, sis his siblings proceeded to tell me over this past weekend that they wanted to leave the United States, move to Canada and England. And when I asked why this was, they said, well, it's because we don't agree with the laws being passed in America. And then when I questioned, you know, what laws are you talking about? They were talking about abolishment, uh, or not abolishment, but abortion. I'm sorry. Sure. And um, so they're talking about abortion. And I said, I said, well, what about the law on abortion? And the truth of the matter was these children at 13 years old were wanting to leave our country because they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the whole truth of the matter about abortion and about the laws that were passed about abortion. They didn't. All they knew was, oh, well, you can't have abortion anymore. And I was like, mm, that's not all the facts. You need to make sure you get all the facts first. Yeah. Then they wanted to, uh, and, and the other law was, was uh, gay marriage. Mm. And I said, here again, it's the same thing. Our younger generation is wanting to leave our country and not even put up a fight at all and go live in a, in a complete utopia in another country, which yeah. everybody that feels in here knows absolutely not the better bet absolutely nick and frankly if you want to go to canada in search of greater liberty let me know how it feels when they make you put a mask on just to go to canada at the airport the only flight that requires a mask into country see if you feel more free on the way The American Journal, fellow Americans, patriots.
going to be taking calls this hour. Make sure you call in 877-789-2539. Get in line and go live on InfoWars. We are going to take a call from Charles in Atlanta. Charles, you are live on the air. Hey, how are you? How are you? I'm great. Thanks for calling in. How are you doing? Good, good. Hey, of course, uh, Harrison Smith is the man, but I have tremendously enjoyed uh, the way your mind functions as you host this week. Uh, you've got Thank a you. brilliant mind and should have a book out soon because you've got a lot of solid ideas. Hey, uh, let's deal just for a minute with uh, how to solve these various problems we've mm. addressed or you've addressed through the, through the week. And Alex Jones has for 27 or so years that I've listened to him. Um, look, if we take a thousand, three thousand, thirty-three thousand foot view, bird's eye view mm -hmm. of what humanity's general problem is, it's relatively simple. We come manifested into a three-dimensional world that is, in fact, a matrix. It is a place that is the primary function happening in this, in the interactions between human beings is deception mm. from the beginning of recorded history. You know, you think about the Bible's concept of the snake or the mm -hmm. being deceiving the first people. And it, and other than breathing, eating, and sleeping, every single one of us as human beings are in the process of being deceived to some degree at all times. So if we could understand that that is the currency through which our suppressors or enslavers work, then if we could uh, realize that and be conscious of it every day, we could form an opposite force. It's kind of like uh, once, uh, uh, you know, Toto pulled back the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. Right. There is a man found, behind the curtain. Yeah, you find out that it's just deception. Yeah. Then you realize your tools have to be a continual process of education. And, of course, there has to be a motivation for a, a human being to even desire to learn. I, again, th this thing is a very complex and deep uh, uh, set of variables and scenarios that we're involved in in being human. But at the same time, it's very simple. If I don't say anything else, just for a few seconds. Sure. When you look at the spirit and then the body that's created, but the central focal point, like a... a uh, uh, what's a, one of those time things that you flip over and the sand comes through? Mm -hmm. That choke point, to me, has always been the mind. Because spirit cannot talk to us for good or evil, except to come through the mind. And then the body, of course, can't be moved to motivate or go somewhere or do something unless it's controlled by the mind. Mm -hmm. So the central point, when you look through all history, Bible is replete with it, so as most historical documents and so as our experiences, that everything happens through the decisions and the quality of what is going on in our mind. So that's why there is a battle for the mind. Mm -hmm. Everything is about our perception and what we conceive. Are we making contracts that work to our benefit? Is the balance of power equitable? If not, if it's against us, then that's the problem. So, yeah. uh, you know, last thing I'll say, and I could I could write my book on the subject because I've thought about this for many years. Last thing I'll say is this. If you and I were given a project to build a 50-story building in the center of our town, we'd have to approach that as a scientist with all the facts of physics and mm -hmm. uh, geometry and this, that, and the other. I feel that life needs to be uh, uh, lived by human beings as a scientist mm. because if you don't have a logical uh, stepwise process of thinking about anything, relationships you form, things you're going to do or buy, 
how your government is approaching you and you approach it. If you don't have a logical way of saying, okay, well, what is the end product? What is it we're trying to accomplish? Does both parties have skin in the game, which most of the time with governments and the people, we don't. We vote, but then they take over and, and do things nefariously behind the scenes. The financial system, how much skin in the game do we have mm-hmm. when there's a Federal Reserve and International Money Fund? But again, I'll just quit with this. Yeah, no. If we want the world to be better, we have to be equal contributors to the outcome of what happens, which means we have to take our sovereignty back. We even have to know what it is. Can you imagine being born and you don't even know, your parents don't even know the concept of sovereignty, so you sign the birth certificate, and from the day you're born, you already have given away a part of your power. Absolutely. So this whole thing is Absolutely. an educational process, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and thank you so much for your call, Charles. And sure. I, for the listeners out there, I think we can hear the wisdom in Charles' voice. I think it's a beautiful metaphor to think of the mind as an hourglass, as he put it. And it's just a matter of what we let through. Are we letting through deception or are we letting through the truth? This info war really is a war for the truth. And obviously this network, Alex Jones, controversial figures, right? But that's why it's so important to share this content, this information with as many people as possible, those who are on the fence and those who are in your network, in your community, your neighbors, family, and friends who may be skeptical of InfoWars or maybe uh, a little in, a little too inclined to believe the legacy media's narrative about this network and Alex. I highly encourage you to share with them Alex's war. It's a great documentary that really has an objective view on the history of what's been going on here, what Alex has been doing, the work that he's been doing, the personality, the psychology, the nature of it. And I think that it's really a great tool to bridge the gap among those who have good intentions but are reluctant to expose themselves to the truth or this content. So if we really want to fix that hourglass of the mind, so to speak, as Charles so eloquently put We have to find ways to ease outsiders into this network, into this audience, so that they can be exposed to the truth and we can expose the lies. Real quick, I want to do one more call this segment before we go to break. Let's take Phil from Florida. Phil, you are live on the air. Hey, how you doing? I just wanted to call in to comment on on Sean. And then Mm -hmm. the way Charles put it so elegantly, it all ties together with what Sean was talking about and getting these general assemblies started and formed. We do have a union. We had a union since the Civil War, and it's that vacant. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a lot of education out there, and I encourage everybody paying attention right now to go to this website. Um, It's CASA. P-A-S-A dot American State National dot org. And your journey will begin there with the education process of repopulating our court and bringing these people to justice because we do have a constitution backing up our rights for sovereignty. The sovereignty gets confused with the sovereign citizen, Mm -hmm. which the two of them do not exist. That's an oxymoron to call somebody a sovereign citizen. You either have right. sovereign rights, God-given rights, or you don't. Um, when you when you have a birth certificate, you have a Social Security card, you don't have the rights that you think you do. You don't have the constitutional guarantees because you're living in a corporated America. 
a corporated United States of America. It was a huge scam that was pulled on the people a very long time ago, and you, you have to claim your own vessel back. Yeah. Uh, they, they consider people lost at feet that don't have the education. Yeah, great points there, Phil. Are you the property of the state or do you claim ownership of yourself? Next segment, we'll be taking more calls. Make sure to chime in and let us know what you think at 877-789-2539. Looking forward to seeing you back. Stay tuned for the rest of the hour, The American Journal. Listening to the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. Do you believe in life after love? We do at the American Journal. We're going to be taking calls this hour. Call on 877-789-2539. Next up, we have Sonny from North Carolina. Sonny, you are live on the air. Good morning, Chase. Good morning. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Listen, I'm calling in this morning to kind of release a WMD of truth for the info war. But uh, first, I just kind of want to plug the um, Super Coral toothpaste and the um, activated charcoal. I've been using it for a couple of months, and my mouth has never felt so healthy. So uh, Owen was right about that. It's a no-brainer. Also, I, I donate. I donate monthly to the InfoWar. It makes me feel like I'm doing something for free speech. Mm-hmm. Speaking of free speech, I want to put something out there for the veterans that went to the VA medical centers, right, walked in for medical treatment, and walked out with a shot they're going to regret for the rest of their lives, okay? okay? If they felt coerced into taking a shot, if they felt coerced into taking a shot, they're eligible to file a claim under Title 38 USC 1151. All they got to do is go to benefits and say if they felt like they had a mental condition such as depression, following the shot, anxiety, they just got to say, go to e-benefits, file a claim, say <clears throat> mental condition, uh, status post vaccine coercion, 1151. Okay. The reason we need them to do that is because if all, enough veterans claim coercion, it'll give us the legal leverage to destroy our enemy. So um, it'd be great if that information gets spread. That's, that's all I got. Thank you so much for your call and for sharing that weapon of mass instruction. Next up, we're going to take Philip from Florida. Philip, you are live on the air. What do you have to say? Hi, good morning, Chase. Thanks for taking my call. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Yeah, first, before I start, I want to thank you for being there. And uh, you're doing a great job, especially I listened to one of the broadcasts and uh, some of these people are calling in, complaining about Trump, like he was in a lab creating the messenger RNA himself. Trump is a business guy. He gets referrals from people to do things. He doesn't know everything about everything. That's so right. The people are saying that Trump made this vaccine. Just you have to stop and relax and figure out, which the two people that I listened to on the show before sound like they were New Yorkers. So they're probably AOC fans. Uh, they're lit- <laughs> Cognito. Um, they Trump did not invent the vaccine. Okay, he asked Fauci, Fraudchi, who's a traitor to this country, about what to do. And Fraudchi, being the highest position in medicine in the government, said, "Do this." And he might as well have told Trump to bend over. So what I'm calling in about, though, is this ridiculous thing with Nancy Pelosi. 
the Chinese, if they were going to shoot her down, they wouldn't have said, we're going to shoot you down. That's like the dumbest thing ever. Right. It's rule number one, the element of surprise. So the whole thing's done to build up patriotic credibility for another traitor. All, all these people are on the Chinese payroll. McConnell, uh, it, you know, IPAC, McCain, everybody, all these people are getting money. And I don't know if she went to Taiwan maybe to get her, her stock dividends or whatever it was, or perhaps like the previous caller said, she's, she's got to be, uh, she's being set up to become the next president. So I have to build this patriotic credibility for her. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a group of people who are letting January 6th peaceful protesters that killed no one sitting in jail for, uh, for years now with absolutely no reason to be there. The, the, the Federal Bureau of Instigators was planted all over that place. Yep. These people know that. They did it. And there's still people, and I know I'm preaching to the choir with this audience, but if there are any new listeners out there, let me cut you off real quick because we have we have we have I want you to stay on. I want your feedback, but we have Ray Epps on the screen right now. I did a little bit of research on Ray Epps. I went to his business's website and I used um web archive, went to his uh, Twitter account for his business. The only tweet that he's liked is a Hillary Clinton tweet. He's some sort of Trump supporter, but if you go, if you if you look, I did a screenshot of it. I don't know if it's still the case, but I took a screenshot of it a couple of weeks ago. I'm not convinced that this dude's actually a Trump supporter at all. Like I mean, why? Who would like a Hillary Clinton tweet about breaking the glass ceiling or whatever? If they were, if they were going to go to a Trump rally and, and, and invade the Capitol, it doesn't make any sense. The dude was totally a Fed, in my personal opinion. That that is that is based on the information I've been exposed to. That is the the most tenable conclusion. Why else hasn't he been under arrest? So Philip, keep going on. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to make that point. Uh, they're wearing Trump camouflage, right? And they're and they're, it's this just like the, just like the Federal Bureau of Instigators that were mixed in, instigating everything, promoting everything. It's not just not just him. I'm sure there were like thousands of them, just like Alex said. Mm-hmm. But these people knew what they were doing, and now they're doing this. They're laundering all this money through Ukraine, who's basically uh, the the Eastern European version of Ozarks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, Let me ask you this, Phil. If I got a question for you. So, yeah. so you made an interesting point that I hadn't considered that perhaps they're trying to stoke a sense of patriotism or brand Nancy Pelosi as this um, patriotic figure uh, in light of the fact that she's, you know, high up in line for the presidency. It's interesting to think about that in, um, in connection to or in the context of just a few months ago when we were at the Olympics. Do you remember when she was warning athletes not to say anything critical about the CCP, and now suddenly yeah. she's going to Taiwan despite the CCP. Yeah. It's like, why would she yeah. make that statement then? Like, if she was really anti-CCP and pro-America, wouldn't she be encouraging athletes to express themselves as they wish? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the, and that's the thing. That's like that's that adds to exactly what we're saying here is that she. This whole thing is. So for some reason, I don't know what it is yet. It still doesn't seem clear to me because it seems like a stretch that they're going to do what the previous caller said and try to put her in as president. And and I can't I can't see uh, Kamala Harris saying no to being the president at all. I mean, she's so out of her mind with power, and she's never done anything to earn it. I mean, she swept her way to the to the district attorney's office in California, or or yeah. the whatever uh, whatever attorney position she had. But um, it's just like they know what they did. 
they and, and all these people know McConnell's not innocent in this. Like this guy is is horrible. His he's married to a, a Chinese shipping magnate daughter. I mean, this people. I like I said, preaching to the choir here, but they won't mm -hmm. let me say it anywhere. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for your call. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate your sentiment about Fauci. I have a lot of reservations about Fauci outside of the context of the pandemic. He's been at the NIH since the 80s, I believe, maybe even the late 70s, but definitely the 80s. And a lot of people don't know about this. I mentioned it briefly yesterday. There were blood products for medications that were made in the 80s that caused AIDS. They had AIDS. They were contaminated. I have uh, severe hemophilia myself. It's a bleeding disorder. And hemophiliacs in the 80s were consuming medicine made from human blood donations. And these blood donations were contaminated with hepatitis and HIV. The NIH knew about it. The drug companies knew about it for years. And parents were taking their kids to the hospital or administering these IVs at home to their kids with hemophilia. They were injecting them with this medicine so they wouldn't bleed internally, not knowing that it was contaminated with hepatitis and HIV. Thousands of people, not just hemophiliacs, but thousands specifically of hemophiliacs died because they unwittingly took drugs that were contaminated while the drug companies knew. And when they stopped administering these drugs in the United States because they were killing people, do you know what they did with the remaining stock of the bad contaminated product? Well, they sold it overseas because they don't want to take the loss. So these pharmaceutical companies, these bureaucrats, these members of the political industrial complex as we've been talking about this week are totally corrupt. They think about nothing but how to cover their own behinds how to make as much money as possible, how to seize as much power as possible, and how to ensure that once power is seized, it is never lost. I agree with you. I have a hard time believing that Kamala would give up any power because those who attain power maintain power at all costs. Stay tuned. We're going to take more calls in the next segment. Thank you for being part of the American Journal today. Folks, I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. The American Journal, and we are back for the rest of the hour taking calls from patriots all over the United States. Next segment, we have a great guest, Matthew Colkin. I'm very excited to talk to him. I've spoken with him a few times. A very impressive man, very astute and sharp and knowledgeable. But before we have Mr. Colkin on in the next hour, I do want to talk to Joe in Kansas. Joe, you are live on the air. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to have you. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm calling in today to discuss a topic uh, kind of near and dear to my heart. Uh, okay. It's a thing that people probably don't know a lot about. It's called the troubled teen industry. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically, it's marketed on places like Dr. Phil and Oprah and various things, mostly to these affluent uh liberal parents. Mm -hmm. I've seen and, documentaries uh, about that. I think one of the Dr. Phil ones was n notorious for abuse. Uh, absolutely. Dr. Phil has worked with several programs that have uh, horribly abused children. Uh, but th what I found, the more I look into this industry, is that it's just rotten to its core. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of these uh, camps, I guess you could call them for children because <clears throat> they're not schools, 
uh, are modeled after Chinese communist brainwashing camps from uh, that Korean prisoners of war. So they must work really well. (laughs) uh, Yeah, uh, they're just doing some atrocious things to these children. Uh, (sighs) They come out of these brainwashing camps completely broken, uh, and uh, it's rampant. Uh, I mean, if you want to see where some of these affluent liberals' hearts are, just look at how they treat their own children. It's disgusting. Yeah, well, Harrison uh, tweeted something weeks ago that really stuck with me. He said that therapy is the satanic form of confession. And and I want to hear more of your thoughts on this. I'm not I'm not trying to cut you off, but uh, it seems to me that you know, as a parent, you, you don't you don't send your kid to a camp for a couple of weeks like you send a dog to a dog trainer for a couple of weeks. I mean, you got to figure out how to raise your own kid, right? Uh, absolutely. It, our first obligation as humans is to look after our own our own children. Uh, but you know, it's sick because these these camps are predatory, uh, and they take these these well-meaning liberals, because I think a lot of liberals probably their hearts might be in the right place, even if their brains aren't. I agree. Uh, And, and they convince them that their children are going to die unless they send them to these camps. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's just as much a process of brainwashing the parents as it is the children. They actually often put the parents through these seminars that are the same Chinese brainwashing tactics that are used on children where uh, and just to go a little deeper into those Chinese brainwashing tactics, if I could, uh, sure. they organize these children into uh, what they call peer groups, and then uh, they exercise group punishment. So if one person uh, violates an arbitrary rule, the entire group is punished. Yeah, so uh, like, but, like in the Marines or whatever, right? Like um, uh, uh, a full metal jacket or something, yeah. you punish the whole entire group. To hold uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there are similarities to boot camp. But uh, these these places are a lot more insidious. It goes a lot further and deeper than well, sure, and uh, it's kids, it's, you know, camp. in boot camp, and you're an adult. Absolutely, boot camp uh, participants uh, are doing so voluntarily, uh, and uh, so I I think that these kids they're oftentimes so broken that that uh, this is where some of these mass shooters are coming from. This is where uh, some of these uh, false flag actors are likely coming from. They're brainwashing them in private prisons and then releasing them out into society to wreak havoc. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the crazy thing about it, too, is you have to consider what type of a person wants to start a camp like that or work at one or run one. So I can understand if someone perhaps was a troubled teen and they came out of it and became successful and they want to go to high schools and give talks or they want to start programs that help other troubled teens. But it seems like a catalyst for a predator, predators to create a predatory environment where if you're a bad actor and you're interested in abusing children or manipulating children for whatever perverted reason, you can start a business like this, rent a camp property, some cabins for a couple of weeks, and just reach out to parents and all of a sudden you've got all these troubled kids and you're the only one around responsible for for handling it i mean it just seems like an incredibly risky business model for parents to to uh to take seriously don't you think uh it is incredibly risky the the number of these programs that have been shut down is in the hundreds if not thousands over the course of the last couple decades but you know it's kind of like a hydra you cut the head off one and another one just pops up in a different place and they use the same Chinese communist 
brainwashing tactics. And it's, they do it because it's very, very profitable. And you also touched on another important point, I think, which is that uh, th these places are magnets for predators. Uh, it, yeah, if you want absolute total control over children, you, you don't even need a degree to start one of these places. You don't need any kind of qualifications to work with children. Uh, uh, there are have been confirmed, you know, child molesters working at these places, uh, all manner of the worst abuses that you could think of happen at these places. Well, thank you so much for your call, Joe. I think that's important for the audience to hear uh, this story about what's going on with that and to keep a cautionary eye on things. Next up, I do want to take a call from Truman in California. Truman, you are live on the air. Thank you for holding. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate you having my time. What great calls today and every every day you're on. I, I mean, th that's beautiful. I, I really loved the the girl. I have children myself that are in California that are dealing with the same thing of them trying to pedophile them. Um, it's disgusting. And Charles was really good too. Um, really fast. If if anybody's interested, um, as far as Christianity, Pastor Sam from Buellton in California is great. Pastor Greg Locke and Pastor mm -hmm. um, Chuck Baldwin. Um, just to put that heads out there, I wanted. I just wanted to tell you, I love listening to you guys. I love you opening up the phone calls and getting the real news of what's actually really going on. I really do want to give plugs towards all, everything you guys have as far as Creole oil, um, uh, X2, X3, everything. But um, after listening to all those phone calls, I, I, we, we, me and my family and friends put um, as much as we can into to supporting you guys. Um, um, buy everything that you have, every product, and all of them are great. Um, really, I was, like you were saying, you were a little bit sick. Um, I got mesothelioma from um, my work from back in the day, and, and I so I have medical issues myself, but um, your products really make me feel like I'm alive again. For a while there, I thought like I was just going to die, and starting to take your products, I, I really feel like I'm coming back to life. Um, that's, that's so good to hear. Which, which one's your say. favorite? Which which product is your favorite? Um, I would say that um, the Alpha Power is my favorite. That mm. gets me up and going in the morning. Um, but something about the hair and beard, um, like like I said, it, it just brings you to life. It, it shouldn't even be named hair and beard. It, it's really energy and um Sam and I, I work, we live on a farm, so I work every day on the farm, and for months and years, um, I thought I was literally going to die, and I started taking your guys' products, and it, it really brought me back to life, and now all my family and friends um, buy your products, I mean, we're so thankful, and the American Journal, oh my gosh, you guys are so great that it just you having real news called in and not some bs on on the tv um it, it's it's invigorating well thank you so much for that call uh it's really an honor and a pleasure to have you as a member of the audience and thank you so much for uh your support it means a lot i'm glad that you're having an outstanding experience with the products and that they've they've helped you you know this week we've been talking a lot about um how the best thing you can do for america is become the best version of yourself and a component of that is health right there's there's 
your bodily health, there's 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 your your mental health, your 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 knowledge, your wisdom, your your skills. And so uh, I highly, highly recommend that the audience check out InfoWarsStore.com and look through the products, see which ones you think might be a good fit for you. But not only the products and the supplements, take a look at the Great Reset book. Get a signed copy, copy at InfoWarsStore.com. Order copies on Amazon so we can get to the number one best-selling status on Amazon and forced the leftists to acknowledge that Alex Jones exists and is an influencer and cannot be totally silenced or deplatformed. In the next hour, we're going to have a great guest, Matthew Culkin. He's an immigration lawyer and former elected director of AILA, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, National Board of Governors. Culkin & Culkin offers a full range of immigration legal services. He's a great voice in the pro-America space. So stick with us. Join us next hour with an outstanding guest. And thank you for being a part of the American Journal. You're tuned in to the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. back to the American Journal, folks. Today with us, it is an honor and a pleasure to have Matthew Culkin as a guest on the show. Thanks for being here. Always appreciate being here, Chase. Absolutely. So I wanted to have you on uh, in particular because uh, with the advent of the new legislation that we've seen, particularly the Roe v. Wade stuff, uh, a lot of people have been claiming that they want to uh, move out to Canada. And I know you deal with a lot of immigration work. And so I just wanted to hear some stories from you about what you've seen from clients trying to get from Canada to the United States uh, in light of the fact that so many Americans are sort of fronting that they want to leave America. Well, so many of the freedoms that we take for granted and that have been under uh, undermined in the last decade or so in the United States or two decades, uh, you don't have in Canada. I have uh, been inundated with calls from individuals from Canada that are fleeing the country uh, as a result of the uh, draconian tyranny, vaccine tyranny of the Trudeau regime. I saw today that there was a Trudeau must resign hashtag that was trending. Canadians aren't happy with what's going on in that country. I, uh, if you're an American citizen that believes in freedom of speech, if you're unvaccinated, forget about uh, being able to live there normally. Um, unvaccinated Can Canadians are applying for asylum in the United States. Yeah, and it, one of the things that's really alarming about Trudeau, I mean, it was obvious the whole time that he was a leftist, but it really became clear with uh, the, 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 the trucker protests that this was beyond just some leftist dweeb. This was really tyrannical in that they were shutting down bank accounts, freezing bank accounts, uh, uh, proclaiming protest protesters as, as bigots or white supremacists. And so my concern is, is Canada going to be able to get this guy out of office? And even if they do, are they going to be able to ensure that the powers of his office are mitigated? Hard to say. It's, uh, it's, it, I'm not an expert on the political system in Canada, uh, but th that being said, it's, it seems as though, as, using the United States as an example, uh, that the, um, the powers that are really behind the scenes controlling 
uh, how things get done, how the sausage gets made, are very, very adamant that they want to have somebody at the front that they can control. Uh, obviously, we have a president who's compromised medically. He's not capable of making any decisions. He can't complete sentences. Um, we have no idea who's actually running the show in this country. And Trudeau right now is out of the country. I think he's in Costa Rica for two weeks on vacation. Um, I believe it was Costa Rica. I can't recall exactly where he left. But Cuba. That's the conspiracy theory that I love the most. Yeah. It, it always makes me laugh. He looks just like him. Oh, but he really does. I mean, it, it's alarming. Whether or not there's any truth to it, he does look just like Fidel Castro. Well, and he's starting to sort of act like him too, uh, in, in in certain ways. So I'm interested because you know, growing up, we're we're just sort of we've, the vibe. It's almost a joke, but it's like a friendly tease. The vibe is that Canada is off-brand America. Like it's basically the same thing. The only difference is they have a different currency and they use the metric system, right? That was sort of the vibe coming up in the '90s about just attitude towards Canada, right? And it's so so you would never think, you know, up until this point that anyone from Canada would be seeking asylum in the United States. So can you tell me a little bit about what? It means to seek asylum in the United States, what um, factors have to be in place in order to do it, and how, what argument or, or um, a situation is occurring in Canada that's allowing people to be eligible for asylum in the U.S.? Well, what happened was before the Biden administration closed the borders to unvaccinated Canadians, there were a number of individuals that fled Canada and entered the U.S. as Canadian visitors lawfully admitted and have been trying to regularize their status from inside of the United States over the past year. Generally speaking, if a citizen of Canada comes over as We are going to cut to a break real quick. We'll, take, we'll do the rest sure. of that thought right when we come back. Sorry about that. Watching the American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch live right now at band.video. Welcome back to the American Journal, folks. We left off the last segment talking about Canadians seeking asylum in the United States. Matthew Culkin, our esteemed guest, was filling us in on those details. Can we pick up where we left off? Sure. So Prior to the, the borders being shuttered to unvaccinated Canadians, uh, a, a litany of, of Canadian citizens came to the United States as visitors, uh, either to their residences in the United States or um, in, seek of, uh, in search of uh, either employment opportunities or to open businesses. And they've been trying to regularize their status. And they've a lot of them have been frustrated and been unable to extend their stay beyond um, the six-month period that they were authorized or are in the, the one extension. And now they're scrambling and they don't want to go back to their home country because they fear that they will be directly targeted for persecution by the Trudeau regime. You can't travel in Canada on public transport if you're unvaccinated. Employment is limited. Uh, you're, you're there, if you've spoken out at all, there's the possibility of having your, your bank accounts uh, seized by, uh, by the government. Um, you're shunned by society. You're, uh, you're being isolated as a result of both your, the exercise of your political speech as well as your membership in a particular social group of Canadians that uh, have been basically ostracized by normal society. 
So based on your experience, just dealing with these clients and looking into this climate, I want to ask you about the motive of the Trudeau administration, because, you know, there, there are new reports today that the California governor has declared monkeypox a state emergency. Uh, Pritzker in Illinois did the same thing. Um, Mayor Adams did the same thing, declaring a monkeypox state of emergency. So it seems like they're really riding this wave on the left of declaring emergencies uh, for sort of even the subtlest of, of, of viruses or health outbreaks. So my question for you specifically is, do you believe that the, the, that the Trudeau administration is just sort of incompetent and really takes these, the pandemic seriously still to the extent that it, it, it is enacting these radical policies? Or is it just using the pandemic as an excuse to expand the power of the government? Well, this is a man that praised China and the way they, they do their business. Uh, I don't know if you recall, but when the pandemic first came out, I remember seeing video of Chinese citizens being welded into their apartment buildings mm -hmm. and arrested for walking around streets, being uh, being thrown into to, uh, unmarked vans. Uh, and, and this is the types of behavior that Trudeau praised, uh, that he was very, he admired the way that they were able to control the population. He admired the fact that they were able to restrict freedom of speech. He admired the fact that, uh, that you don't have the opportunity to challenge the government uh, when they have decided what is best for you. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. And what's particularly alarming about it, and I haven't really heard it framed this way, because people get distracted with aspects of the argument around pandemic response that are really not at the, at the core of it. But I think of that famous line, give me liberty or give me death. And I had COVID for, you know, a couple of weeks a week. It was really only bad for a few days, but I had symptoms for a couple of weeks. And I would much rather have COVID than be welded into my apartment or my home by my government like, which one's worse, the, the, the virus or the government? Which one kills more people? Which one's more dangerous, right? Like, don't people see that being welded in your own apartment by your government is a far more traumatic and serious problem than this pandemic? Well, how about forcing children who have uh, one of the lowest risk factors uh, medically, from what my understanding is, being forced to be masked for the better part of two years. Uh, I had uh, I, I had an experience where my friend's child switched schools and didn't know what any of his classmates actually looked like oh. because they were masked the entire time and he had never met any of them without a mask on. And we're seeing, uh, I just saw a news report here locally about additional funding that is necessary for, uh, for mental health issues for, for children as a result of uh, what they've been forced to endure during the last two-year pandemic. And I don't believe that there's any material increase in mortality um, for children uh, since the monkeypox <laughs> a pandemic has started. I've, I mean, realistically speaking, the Democrats are, are notorious for never letting a crisis go to waste. They're mm -hmm. never going to give up their emergency powers. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's not only the, 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 the anecdotal stories of kids not knowing what their classmates look like, but uh, didn't the government or some, some, some entity just uh, um, announced that they, that they were pushing back certain developmental standards among children? Test, test. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so we have kids who have lower vocabularies now. I think they're I not lost you on my back now. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can now. Okay, great. I was just saying that we have kids that are, aren't meeting traditional development standards like toddlers and stuff because they haven't seen facial expressions. They haven't seen faces as a result of these policies. So, so it begs the question, what's worse, the pandemic or the response? And I want to ask you, what do you think the outcome would have been if the United States just did absolutely nothing in response to COVID-19? Just let it rip. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> It would have been awesome. Everybody would have moved there. <laughs> we we would have a great country. We wouldn't have uh, all the problems that we're having right now. We would have had a, a, a probably four to six weeks of sickness. Uh, they would have finally figured out how to treat how to treat COVID. Ironically, my my good friend is a, a vet. Veterinarians have been dealing with COVID for years. When the, the, the when the pandemic first hit, and he saw how they were treating people, he told me. What they're doing is completely wrong, and the, the now the the standard treatment is really what they've been doing to animals for years. Um, realistically speaking, they they I and I don't have this is just my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. My personal opinion is is they use the they use the pandemic as a way to get Trump out of office. They needed to destroy our economy and give us money to stay at home and to be able to uh, put in vote harvesting schemes unilaterally bypassing state legislatures in order to be able to get Trump out of office. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think um, I agree with you there. Do you think that the CCP intentionally allowed it to, um, to spread in, in hopes of, this, of, of that very outcome? I think it's a, a very real possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not stupid people. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're playing... 3D chess, as they say. And it would not surprise me at all if this was a coordinated attack because the Trump administration's policies were less favorable than what they believed they would get under uh, sleepy Joe Biden. So what's it been like for you in um, the industry that you work in, the, the immigration law work that you're doing in face of the um, rapid influx of migrants across the border um, beginning with the uh, Biden administration, have you seen an increase in in business and clients that you're dealing with? What's going on? Ironically, not from the. I'm all the way up in Buffalo, New York, so sure. I don't see I don't see any of those cases. Um, so that hasn't impacted my business. What has impacted my business is the fact that Biden isn't deporting people anymore. Um, for I've been doing this for 25 years. I've never in my entire career seen. Uh, this long of a stretch without seeing new deportation cases being instituted against individuals. He's not enforcing the law uh, from the interior of the country with exception of very serious criminals. And although there are serious criminals that are immigrants, those are the minority. Most immigrants come here, they, they work their, their fingers to the bone and they provide for their family and they're good people and they, they just want a better life. Uh, but that being said, the by eliminating the enforcement mechanisms in the inside of the country and stopping the, the federal criminal prosecution of individuals who are attempting to come into the country illegally and uh, and then not and then flying people all over the United States and not scheduling them for hearings, et cetera, it's created a carrot that there's a magnet that's been created by the Biden administration that says if you can get into the country, 
you will be able to stay. You're not going to get deported as long as I'm president. And now the backlog of deportation cases is so huge that it will take the better part of a person's lifetime before they're going to be scheduled for a hearing. Wow. Well, stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in the next segment with more from our guest, Matthew Culkin. American Journal. We're joined today by the rightful king of Gondor, Matthew Culkin. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you. So I want to talk to you a little bit about what your experience is with the immigration system that we have, because, you know, we are branded by leftists as anti-immigrant, just generally speaking. And of course, this country is in existence because we're all descended from immigrants. Primarily, not all of us, but the vast majority of us. My family came over in 1893 on my father's side. I'm sure that your family came over at some point too. And we want to empower individuals to be able to immigrate here, assimilate with our culture, enjoy our freedoms, and contribute to our society as easily as possible while simultaneously protecting the sovereignty of our nation and our borders. So from your experience as someone who is not leftist minded, but is also working to defend immigrants from things like deportation, what needs to change in our system? What's what actual policy solutions do you think are reasonable and feasible that we can improve the system that we have in place? First thing that we need to do is have the, the US Department of Labor specifically identify industries where there is a verifiable labor shortage, where we can't get Americans to do the job, uh, that employers are dying on the vine, their crops. Um, and once we've done that, and we know that we, we don't have the workers that we need, a very simple visa can be issued that allows individuals to come to this country, get vetted, have their 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 uh, their fingerprints taken, all their bios taken, so that we know exactly who's coming into the United States. And if they have uh, an employment authorization document that's issued pursuant to that type of status, it will allow them to be employed in those specific industries. And if an employer is hiring somebody without authorization, there needs to be harsh penalties. Uh, you, you, there's every single employer, myself included, has to fill out an I-9 employment verification form for any employee that works for me to ensure that they're lawfully in the United States and they're authorized to work. We need to know who's in this country, and we need to we need to be able to control our borders. We're a sovereign country, and we're entitled to do that. Absolutely. So you mentioned at the end of the last segment that we have this tremendous deportation backlog because the Biden administration is failing to deport anyone. So what is this problem going to look like for the next administration that comes in in 2024 and say that administration is a pro-America administration or uh, not a leftist administration at least, and they want to actually enforce the law? You What's mean the, the racists and xenophobes? <laughs> right, right, right. When the racists and xenophobes come into office in 2024, how are they going to get these people out of here? <laughs> Exactly. Um, what, what, ironically, what 
And it's uh, in the process of being reviewed right now by district court. But uh, the Biden administration unilaterally is filing motions to, to dismiss deportation cases. Um, so a very large percentage, and I don't know the exact numbers, but a large percentage of my cases, I would say upward to 75 percent of my cases, were, were dismissed by the immigration judge without prejudice Whoa. Uh, by motion of the department. So – the backlog, the way that the Biden administration is is trying to eliminate the backlog is by stopping the deportations at the root and allowing individuals to remain in the United States. So uh, what will basically end up happening is as soon as there's a Republican back in the White House, and who knows if that will ever be allowed to happen again. But if it does, happens, uh, they'll be branded as a, a racist and a xenophobe, and there will be protests, and the Democrats will be uh, touting their – their pro-immigration reform stances that have never done anything, and they will ignore the fact that they have they have uh, put in poison pills to block meaningful immigration reform because they just they benefit from being able to call race, uh, Republicans racists and xenophobes. Mm. Yeah, that makes that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think that you're absolutely right that if a Republican does come into office in 2024 at the White House, then and and, and enforces the law. We're going to be they're just going to use that as a branding mechanism for for midterm elections following following that. So my question for you is uh, what what tools are available? What mechanisms are in place in our judicial system that can uh, coerce or force the government to actually enforce the law? I mean, can, is there anything that can be done in the courts? To say, look, you guys are just not enforcing this law. This law was passed by Congress. You know, the people have a right to the enforcement of the laws that are passed by the, the people's representatives, right? So what can be done from a legal standpoint? Not much. And the reason why is the immigration system is completely under the purview of the, of the president of the United States. It's under the executive branch. And even the immigration courts, the immigration courts are under Department of, uh, Department of Justice. They're not, uh, they're not a, a part of the judiciary. The, Judiciary. Mm. So, realistically speaking, um, there's wide discretionary authority for the executive branch to, um, on a case by case basis, to enforce the law in any way they feel is necessary, including harshly or leniently. Um, and uh, if if things go back to the way President Trump was handling them, um, the m most likely what will occur is we will see uh, the numbers of individuals flooding our southern border decrease exponentially, mm. and th they will need to hire uh, additional immigration court uh, judges and staff, and they will have to hire additional uh, lawyers to represent the department in order to be able to prosecute these individuals for violations of the U.S. immigration law. And many of these people have the ability to remain in this country. Uh, people that have been in this this country for years and years and years and who have, have been minding their own business, haven't been committing crimes, uh, have children who they're supporting, many of those people have relief available to them and not in the form of the traditional sense of an anchor baby as to use the, uh, that common uh, term. Uh, it, there's something called cancellation of removal, which allows individuals who can show that they've been here for a long period of time, 10 years, and have a qualifying relative. It's going to cause that that relative an exceptional or an, an extremely unusual hardship, which is a high standard. 
to be able to remain in this country in the discretion of an immigration judge. And realistically speaking, if uh, Congress was willing, and that's my suggestion, my suggestion is to to soften the law a little bit to include more individuals so that if, in fact, they have qualifying relatives in this country that it's going to cause a hardship to, that they have the ability to ask for leniency. Um, and realistically speaking, it's the only way that we'll be able to get through the backlog. We want to get rid of people who are committing crimes. We want to get rid of people who are potentially a threat to, to national security. And People who have just recently come to this country that don't have any ties to the United States should go back home and under a, a, an immigration system that actually works, come back here illegally and eliminate some of the penalties that are in place right now, thanks to Bill Clinton, that prevent them from doing it the right way. Wow, that's, that's a great perspective. Uh, in the next segment, I want to see if we can take some calls Call 877-789-2539 if you have any, any immigration-related questions for Mr. Matthew Colkin, and we'll take those and be excited to see you there. American Journal with your host, Chase Geyser. Watch it live right now at band.video. It's the American Journal, and we are back at it with Matthew Culkin talking about immigration in the United States, crisis at the border, and what can be done to ensure all those with America in their heart can be American, and all those who are enemies of America will not be admitted. Mr. Colkin, I want to ask you, you mentioned that immigration was under the executive branch or the, the Department of Justice specifically. Do you think that was a mistake that our founders made in the way that they framed the Constitution? What, what was the context of, of that decision to have citizenship under that branch of the government? And do you think it's played out the way that the founders thought? Well, I, I think it is the way because uh, you can't really limit who can travel from state to state inside of this mm -hmm. country. I mean, that, that uh, I don't want to be going through a border checkpoint from going between Pennsylvania and New York State. So immigration is under the purview of the federal government where it should be, because it's generally speaking individuals that are outside of the jurisdiction of the United States attempting to, uh, to enter our country. Um, but that being said, and uh, I think InfoWars is uh, the perfect place to, to be talking about this next segue, which is um, there's a, a, a basically a constitution-free zone uh, that exists anywhere between 100 miles of the border. So you have the Supreme Court has basically said that that, that by that the um, the Border Patrol is able to stop you and inquire as to your U.S. immigration status anywhere within 100 100 miles of a border, which is where the vast majority of people in this country live. 
So when you're there, uh, it's, it gives them the ability to set up these border checkpoints and can really infringe upon the civil liberties of United States citizens who are just trying to go about their day and are stuck in a line being asked for their, their passports to prove that they're a citizen of this country if they may have black or brown skin. And I don't like racial profiling. I think that it's uh, something that should be eliminated at all costs. But in the same sense, um, you know, we, we we do have to be vigilant as to uh, uh, individuals that are sneaking into this country. But as I said in the previous segment, the best way to ensure that our borders are secure is to have a legal mechanism for people to enter the right way, because that way our limited resources can be focused on on finding out who's trying to do it the wrong way. Wow, that's that's a that's a great point. I didn't realize that that legal status within uh, 100 miles of the border. Have you? seen or have we been seeing instances where uh, American citizens, that law has been exploited in order to violate the, the uh, Fourth Amendment rights of American citizens? Go on YouTube and, and, and Google or, and uh, put in a search for uh, border stops. There have been uh, libertarians for the last uh, probably 10 years that I'm aware of that have been refusing to answer these questions. And uh, they have ended up uh, having a, a drug-sniffing dog do a false uh, uh, hit on the vehicle. They end up then charging them with resisting, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty disgusting what they're able to do to, to U.S. citizens under the, the guise of U.S. immigration law enforcement. Mm. Well, and it's kind, of, it's kind of a bizarre thing. I understand it's in the interest of national security to afford the government the necessary tools to protect the border. I'm totally pro that. I believe in national sovereignty. I've been talking about it all week on this program. But at the same token, the claims that are made in the Constitution and the documents that inspired it are that we are all born with these inalienable rights. And I know it's not the duty or the responsibility of the government of the United States to protect the rights of individuals not in our country. But at the same token, if you're in the United States, just in the spirit of the Constitution, shouldn't the government need, have to recognize the inalienable rights of all human beings here? You would think. Yeah. Uh, it's what... When And you were very young when 9-11 happened. But when 9-11 happened, and I know we probably spoke about this in a previous conversation, the Patriot Act basically destroyed the traditional constitutional protections that Americans are afforded. Yeah, absolutely. And what's, what's particularly alarming to me about that is Edward Snowden, of course, a controversial figure hated by people on the left and the right, but he did something heroic in my mind, uh, regardless of how reckless it may have been, in that he exposed those very violations of our privacies by the government under the guise of the Patriot Act. We saw the powers of FISA courts employed um, against the Trump administration in the context of the Russian collusion and spying, spygate or towergate rather. Um, and so my question for you is, why is it that when Edward Snowden did this leak and exposed all of these atrocities that are being committed against the rights of the United States citizens, why is it that nothing changed? One would have thought that that sort of revelation for the American people would have catalyzed all sorts of 
reform on privacy laws. There would have been walking back of some of these policies. But he comes out and shows the world this terrible stuff that's happening. There's 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 a movie made about it with star actors, people. Everybody saw the movie about Snowden called Snowden, yet the government didn't do anything. Nobody held them accountable. Why is that? Because the politicians who are in control of this country don't want it changed. Mm. Why would they? Why would they give up their power? Why would they give up their ability to make? Mil How is it possible that someone like Joe Biden, who has worked his entire adult life in uh, in politics, never really making that much money? I mean, obviously. He's not underpaid. How can he have multiple homes and and live the lifestyle that he has? Obviously, you know, uh, he's the big guy, so that 10 percent goes a long way in today's economy. Um, but it's just the corrupt. The level of corruption is you're not even a conspiracy theorist anymore. And I would love to have that Corvette. How does how does that guy who's probably making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for a bunch of years one seventy five one seventy five or whatever you know that, that's probably a hundred thousand dollar Corvette yeah yeah well I think it's money laundering schemes in Ukraine through Metabiota but we've been we've we've been down that road <laughs> well and and I think too that um, you know we can accuse the politicians and the politicians certainly are culpable for for what we're experiencing in terms of privacy violations and the immigration problems that we're having. But I think we also have a situation in which we have an unchecked fourth branch of government that is the intelligence community. And I know that's a broad stroke because there's so many different forms of intelligence and there's so many different departments or agencies within the government that perform or have intelligence functions. But that being said, I don't think that the founding fathers ever could have envisioned a nation with such an intelligence apparatus and such little accountability it's like when the fbi breaks the law they conduct an internal investigation would you have enron conduct an internal investigation on on on, on its law breaking so so what do we do to mitigate the overstep of of the intelligence community I think it needs to be dealt with on a state level. I think mm -hmm. that uh, individual states need to be passing laws that if the federal government is enforcing anything that is unconstitutional and is abridging the, either the state or the federal constitution, that the individual uh, uh, individuals that are enforcing the law get charged and uh, and basically say you're not going to engage in this un unlawful conduct in, in, uh, within the jurisdiction of our states and put these people in state prison. Yeah, that's great feedback. We're going to get more into these details in the next segment. Make sure that you check out The Great Reset by Alex Jones, because what we're seeing here in the context of the conversation that we've had with Mr. Matthew Colkin is the increased oversight and overstepping of the intelligence community, of government all over the world, the globalists, and the violation of individual rights in our nation. Check out The Great Reset by Alex Jones. Learn more about what the enemy is doing so you can know what to do to make a difference and stop it. Reclaim our country and reclaim your own individual sovereignty. Journal. Great guest today, 
Mr. Matthew Culkin, immigration attorney and American hero. So I want to talk a little bit about civil war. Civil war has been trending quite a bit lately on social media platforms. Obviously, division in the United States is at an all-time high. What are your thoughts on how this division and tension is going to play out over the course of the next years? Well, the thing that I've noticed most is that it's not – there really aren't blue states and red states. It's, it's urban versus rural. You look at New York State, and most of it is a Republican control is Republican controlled territory. It's just the cities that are, are dominated by Democrats. And uh, and the same goes for up in Canada. That's that and that goes to a theory that I have that if there is some sort of a separation that occurs, it's going to be a, a linking of the oil producing uh, air provinces up in Canada. As, and the, the, the traditionally Republican-controlled areas inside of the United States, and the big cities will be controlled by Democrats and Trudeau liberals. Yeah, so we'll have the food and the oil, and they're going to have they're going to have pop culture. Yeah, and one of the things that's really fascinating about considering a civil war in the United States is the ramifications of supply chain, just like you mentioned, right? All the cities import their energy, their their food from the rural communities in the United States. But not only that, if you recall, Joe Biden made some sort of sarcastic comment about civil war saying, you know, do the rebels have F-15s or something to that effect. But I think there's actually a tremendous advantage for a, a rebellion, militarily speaking, given that Basically, the United States Navy couldn't be used because it would be a totally land-based conflict. And the federal government would not be in a position to do widespread bombings because doing so would interfere with their own supply chain network. They can't bomb roads like they could in a, in a, in a foreign conflict. And so really, it would be maybe even the last big boots on the ground sort of soldier versus soldier type conflict, wouldn't it? I think what they would end up having to do is go into state houses across uh, the country and and take um, and take governors into custody. Mm. But can you imagine trying to go into Texas? No. And uh, with the federal government, it's there's uh, forget about the the, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, even the military. Do you, do you actually think that those men? that are in our military are going to listen to the chain of command that is going to require them to uh, abide by clearly unconstitutional orders and, put, and, and point weapons at U.S. citizens. There's a lot of people that say that, yeah, they will. Uh, and we saw some of that during the pandemic when there was the initial shutdowns and curfews. So, yeah, that is possible. But I think that there's going to be a large percentage in the event that this ever does happen. And national divorce is so commonly talked about. You don't even sound like a conspiracy theorist when you talk about it. We're so divided as a country that it's hard to envision a period of time where we're actually going to be able to work together for the betterment of the United States of America. It's, it's perilous. Yeah, it's certainly become a toxic relationship among those who have differing political opinions and positions. And one of the advantages of the United States, the way that it was initially set up was – this idea that if you don't like your state, you can move to another state. But 
we've empowered the federal government so much that there are only a few substantial differences in law among the state's left. Things like gun rights, and I'm sure abortion is going to play out that way as well. But there's not a whole lot of a difference in law from state to state like there may have otherwise been had the federal government not established such jurisdiction, right? Well, the federal government should be dealing with national defense and interstate commerce, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. And immigration, people coming to the United States from outside of the jurisdiction of our laws. Uh, that's all the federal government should be doing. Mm-hmm. And every state should be empowered with controlling the way their state is run. I have lived in New York my entire life, other than going to school when I uh, when I was younger. I'm literally on Friday getting on a plane to scout locations to leave this state. I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, uh, our our governor, who was a, uh, was not elected, has through the emergency provisions uh, bypassed the notice and comment period for pending legislation and has enacted new gun laws that make it illegal for concealed carry holders, lawful concealed carry holders, to be able to carry their weapon almost anywhere because she has uh, basically constructed law that says that almost every place is a sensitive location. And unfortunately, as much as I loved the decision in Justice Thomas's um, new gun case, uh, New York State pistol and rifle, um, he opened up the door for these types of interpretations by even in dicta talking about sensitive locations. Basically, just say this shall not be infringed. Right. Period. Right. Well, let me ask you this too. In the context of the government shutdowns that we face from time to time when Congress can't agree on a budget, how does that impact uh, the immigration policy, the immigration situations that you face? Because I was talking to a friend about this the other day and I was saying if I was president, I would just veto every single budget because then only the necessary functions of government would run and all the other ones would be just bankrupt, right? Or or broke. So what happens, what happens when the government shuts down in terms of what the federal government can do and what immigration looks like then at that point? Well, uh, it's happened. There have been shutdowns. Um, what they generally do is they uh, they bench uh, non-essential individuals, people that are working in the courts, usually uh, continue to be employed under emergency funding. Uh, those that are working in immigration and customs enforcement that are enforcing the law or at the borders, they continue to work. Sometimes people are working without pay. Um, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a nightmare. You do need to fund our law enforcement. I'm I'm not one of these, uh, and I, I get tagged with being a far leftist because I'm an immigration lawyer, and by uh, by the right, and uh, by the left because I have Second Amendment. Uh, pro-Second Amendment stances, they look at me like I'm uh, a, a, a baby with two heads. But uh, realistically speaking, the way that our our budget needs to be funded is we need to streamline our our defense budget. I don't believe that we need to have a standing army in times of peace at all times. I would rather have that money focused towards uh, training uh, special forces so that we have uh, precision strike capabilities and we use a scalpel rather than a cudgel. I don't think we need to have uh, billions of dollars for air superiority in this day and age or for for uh, aircraft carriers, et cetera, when 
the internet can be used to shut down an entire country. The new world wars will be fight, fought in cyberspace. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking to the point that you made about the, the left thinking you're right wing and the right thinking you're left wing. I remember I asked you a question when I had you on my podcast some time ago about what it was like for you to represent people who you may or may not agree with or who may or may not be uh, desirable. And I, I believe it was you that we had this conversation. I believe you said, I, I, I defend the Constitution. I represent the Constitution, right? And so you can be an immigration lawyer and right wing if you're defending the Constitution. Absolutely. It's, and every, a lot of people on the right who are anti-immigration, uh, it's easy to be when use a broad brush stroke and say, we don't want anyone in. Right. But not, not, my, my, not the, the father of my kid's teammate at Little League, because he's a great guy. And right. when you know these people on an individual basis, you want to give them the opportunity to legalize their status because that person's a good guy and that guy's a good guy and that guy's never done anything wrong. So he he's the exception. Well, the reality is most immigrants that come to this country and that are in this country are good people. Uh, there are the people that we want to keep out are the drug dealers that are exploiting the open border that we have and the terrorists that are flying planes into our buildings. Absolutely. Well. Matthew, it was an honor and a pleasure to have you on the American Journal this morning. Thank you so much for being a part of the InfoWars story and for being a good advocate for America, her constitution, and her citizens. I hope you come back and join us sometime in the future, and we'll stay in touch. Folks, I want to make sure that you take the time to check out Alex's War. It's an outstanding documentary. I watched it a couple of times since it came out last week. It's now screening in theaters in select cities all over the United States. If you live near any of the locations where Alex's War is airing, please check it out because the more we sell tickets, the longer it stays in theaters to expose the lies of the globalists and tell the truth about InfoWars. The globalist Great Reset or the War for the World is here. Humanity is not being caught flat-footed because of InfoWars and because of your support. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now more important than ever as we reach the critical heart of the battle that you spread the word and that you support liberty and that you warn people like you've never done before. We have come so far together. Please help keep us on the air. We're under massive attack right now, but we're going to win with your help. We're going to overcome this with your help and with God's blessing. Please go to InfoWarsTore.com and get this book. Many, many, many years of research have gone into this. The Great Reset and the War for the World, available right now at InfoWarsTore.com. There's also signed copies available as well. We got a lot of other big projects we're working on that are about to start launching as well, but this is the cavalry because we need the funding and you need this book because it warns the world of the globalist plan. Get the great reset at InfoWarsTore.com. It is surreal to actually be living inside the New World Order. It is bizarre to read all their white papers and battle plans from 50, 60, 70 years ago and now to see it all being implemented. What's truly horrifying is we know what their battle plans call for in the next phase, a 90% force depopulation of the planet. They have recruited an army of control freaks and pedophiles and scum and criminals of every sort to build their New World Order army. 
happen. They have the big private central banks and they're funding, they have the corporate media, they have most of the courts, but they don't have our hearts, our minds, and they don't have control of your soul. If we simply realize that God is the answer and reach out to God to give us discernment, to lead God and direct us, we are unstoppable together. Now, InfoWars is under unprecedented globalist attack. I'm quite frankly proud of it, even though it's very daunting, but I know I have the living God inside my soul. I have the power of the overcomer inside of me, and so do you, and we're gonna win this if we just continue to resist the tyrants, not because we hate these evil people, but because we love our children and we love the innocents that are counting on us to stand up and speak out and fight back. Now, the cavalry's here. So many of our best-selling products have been sold out. They've all come back in the last few weeks, and it's bringing in funding that was absolutely essential at this point. So it's a 360 win. Get great products, do amazing things for your immune system, for inflammation, and so much more all at InfoWarStore.com. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, back in stock. All three of our toothpaste, back in stock. Super Blue, finally, back in stock, the original. 50% off when you get all three together, 40% off when you get them individually. Then Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, again, for your immune system and inflammation, it's back in stock. And our latest product, Diet Force, with all natural enzymes and ingredients that help speed up your metabolism and help you lose weight naturally. Get them all today at InfoWarStore.com. I want to thank you all for your support. God bless. It is surreal to actually be living inside the New World Order. It is bizarre to read all their white papers and battle plans from 50, 60, 70 years ago, and now to see it all being implemented. What's truly horrifying is we know what their battle plans call for in the next phase, a 90% forced depopulation of the planet. They have recruited an army of control freaks and pedophiles and scum and criminals of every sort to build their New World Order army. And they have the big private central banks and they're funding, they have the corporate media, they have most of the courts, but they don't have our hearts, our minds, and they don't have control of your soul. If we simply realize that God is the answer and reach out to God to give us discernment, to lead God and direct us, we are unstoppable together. Now InfoWars is under unprecedented globalist attack. I'm quite frankly proud of it, even though it's very daunting, but I know I have the living God inside my soul. I have the power of the overcomer inside of me, and so do you, and we're gonna win this if we just continue to resist the tyrants, not because we hate these evil people, but because we love our children and we love the innocents that are counting on us to stand up and speak out and fight back. Now, the cavalry's here. So many of our best-selling products have been sold out. They've all come back in the last few weeks, and it's bringing in funding that was absolutely essential at this point. So it's a 360 win. Get great products, do amazing things for your immune system, for inflammation, and so much more all at InfoWarStore.com. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, back in stock. All three of our toothpaste, back in stock. Super Blue, finally, back in stock, the original. 50% off when you get all three together, 40% off when you get them individually. Then Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, again, for your immune system and inflammation, it's back in stock. And our latest product, Diet Force, with all natural enzymes and ingredients that help speed up your metabolism and help you lose weight naturally. Get them all today at InfoWarStore.com. I want to thank you all for your support. God bless.